So last week, Scott was helping us to understand what it is we're actually doing when we confess our sins, how it's about bringing the reality of who we are into the light. It's a turning away from self-deception and a willingness to stand in the light of the truth. And confessing our sins to God, receiving his forgiveness, brings us back into right relationship with him. Now, we know that Jesus has made reconciliation between us and God possible. And uh, we know that we as Christians are the body of Christ. It follows then that we should be people who bring reconciliation. Uh, We should be people who mend broken relationships. How can the body of Christ do otherwise? So this morning, we're going to be looking at this part of the service that we call the peace. I once knew of a church where the peace took the form of saying hello to someone near you. Uh, Actually, it wasn't in the service order. It kind of just got thrown in whenever there was a technical difficulty that needed to be dealt with. Kind of a way of buying back some extra time. Uh, Oh, the uh, video's not working. Just say hello to someone uh, near you. Right, get that thing working. It was like that. But the peace is not an opportunity, or not simply an opportunity to say hello It's an opportunity to restore relationships. And this morning, as we look back, uh, or we look through this passage from Colossians, we're going to try and understand how it is that the peace helps us to restore relationships, both inside of the church and outside of it. So looking at verses 12 to 14, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So we're told to clothe ourselves with a number of virtues. And it's a great analogy, this idea of putting virtues on like clothes. Uh, If you're wearing a a red sweater and yellow trousers, people can see that you're wearing a red sweater and yellow trousers. If you clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, those virtues, those characteristics become evident in your lives. And we're told that it's love that binds them together. Love is the bedrock upon which these virtues are built. And it's no coincidence that these are the very virtues that we uh, are going to need if we're going to be able to forgive people. Uh, Equally, their opposites are the things that prevent us from forgiving. Animosity, meanness, arrogance, spite, impatience. Uh, But we can't put on these virtues as we walk through the door on a Sunday morning and then take them off again as we leave. Uh, They need to be cultivated day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. They emanate from God's love poured into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. You see, when we ask God to forgive us, not only does he forgive us, but he begins to transform us into the kind of people that can genuinely forgive others. But let's focus on those words, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Last week, we looked uh, at the confession, which comes before the peace for very good reason. Uh, First, we need to understand that God has forgiven us. And when we really grasp that, when we fully grasp 
the implications of that. How can we possibly withhold forgiveness from others? The confession and the promise of forgiveness and the peace are like two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. God forgives us and we forgive others. For God to forgive us, we need to forgive others. But sometimes we struggle to forgive others until we fully understand what God's forgiveness means for us. But God takes the initiative. And that is why the confession and the promise of forgiveness come before the peace. Earlier, we heard the parable of the unmerciful servant, in which Jesus emphasizes the meanness of withholding forgiveness from others, especially in light of all that God has forgiven us. Let me put it another way. Imagine forgiveness being like water, and you're in the desert, literally dying of thirst, and someone finds you there in the desert, and they guide you to an oasis. But it's not just any oasis, it's a huge freshwater lake, so vast you can't even see the other side of it. That is God's forgiveness. So now you have this huge volume of fresh water, and someone asks you for a cup of water to drink, and you refuse them. That is what unforgiveness looks like. The problem is often we see our offences as being far milder, less serious than the offences of those who have hurt us. And so we reverse the parable. We like to think that we're the ones who have been let off uh, paying a 100 silver coins. But our enemies, the people that we can't forgive, well, that's different. They owe us a 1,000 bags of gold. It's not the same thing we say to ourselves. Or we think we only ask for a cup of water. But our enemies are asking for the whole lake. How can we possibly give them all that? Last word, uh, last week we heard these words. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that if we trivialize our sin, if we say, well, I'm not too bad really, then we deceive ourselves because my sin And your sin is serious enough that the only way that God could deal with it was by dying in agony on a cross. That's got to be pretty serious, hasn't it? But there might still be someone who's thinking, well, I understand what he's getting at, uh, but he doesn't know, uh, he doesn't know how much so and so hurt me. He doesn't know how much they damaged me. In other words, you might be thinking, well, isn't there a limit to what I'm expected to forgive? And the answer is no, there is no limit, because there is no limit to what God is prepared to forgive. A lady called Frida Kashumba felt the same way. She thought there must be a limit to what she had to forgive. She wrote this. The examples the preachers used to give of uh, situations in which they found themselves required to forgive seemed so trivial, even laughable, compared to what happened to me. An argument with their wife, a misunderstanding between friends, a broken promise, even the betrayal of infidelity in marriage. All these paled into insignificance when I considered what I had to forgive. As a little girl, Frida was caught up in the Rwandan genocide and she watched uh, her whole family being butchered with machetes. Frida herself received what should have been a fatal machete blow to the head and she was presumed dead 
And she was literally buried alive in a shallow grave with the bloody corpses of her family. And that is the sanitized version. I wouldn't even want to repeat the horrors that she witnessed and experienced. Through the power of Christ within her, Frida was able to forgive the, the men responsible. In fact, she visited her father's prison, uh, her father's killer in prison. And the first time she went, she wasn't ready. And when she saw this man sneering back at her, she just collapsed on the floor and lay in the fetal position, sobbing. Uh, but she mustered up the courage to go again. And on the second visit, she spoke with this man at length. And she was able to say the words, I forgive you. I forgive you. And if you struggle to forgive, or even if you just want to know the power of forgiveness, I really recommend her book. It's simply called Frida. Frida offered that brutal man the hand of forgiveness and reconciliation, the hand of peace. And that is what we are doing when we offer one another a sign of peace. Whatever's gone before us, we leave it behind us and we move forward together as one body that is at peace one with another. As Samuel Wells put it, the members of the congregation seek peace with one another in order to embody the peace that they have found with God. And a handshake is a great equalizer, isn't it? It's not like a salute or a bow or the doffing of a cap or the kissing of feet. During the, the peace, people shake hands as equals. Neither one can take the moral high ground. Both stand only as forgiven sinners. God has given us the lake. During the peace, we offer one another a cup of water. So moving on with our passage from Colossians, verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Two weeks ago, we looked at how the church is the body of Christ, at how as Christ's body we have a purpose in the world, namely to tell the story of God's love through the things that we say and through the things that we do. Not only are we to offer one another a sign of peace, we are to offer the world a sign of peace, the kind of peace that can only come from having a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But nothing will thwart that process more effectively than bitterness, infighting, resentment or unforgiveness within the body, within the church itself. Yeah, if members of the body are warring against each other, that would be like uh, my uh, right index finger constantly trying to poke out my left eye or my left foot always trying to tread on my right toes or my fist trying to punch myself in the nose. Uh, if that's how my body functioned, apart from ending up in an asylum, how would I ever get anything done? I mean, it's a crude and somewhat silly analogy, uh, but I think it makes the point that if we are to be effective at Christ's body in the world, we need to live at peace with one another. Jesus is described as the Prince of Peace, and as his body, we are called to peace. If there's no peace with the body, how can we take peace into the world? But we remember that it's not our peace, but the peace of Christ. And that's one of the reasons why the peace comes after the prayers. Because when we pray, it reminds us that we rely on Jesus. It reminds us that we rely on the Holy Spirit to enable us to forgive, to enable us to put our differences to one side, to enable us to live at peace with one another. Without prayer, there can be no peace. 
But despite everything that's been said this morning, you might come to the piece later on and find there's still that person that you really struggle with. But that is why we have the physical act of going up to people and shaking them by the hand. Uh, we get into the habit of, of um, offering one another a sign of peace, whether we feel like it or not. If we waited until we felt like being reconciled, none of us would ever be reconciled. Imagine you're stood at the top of a high cliff and you're looking down over some very deep water and there's only one way down and you don't necessarily feel like doing it but you know that if you want to get down you're going to have to jump. So eventually you pluck up the courage and you jump. All that's needed is that initial physical action. Uh, Once you've made that step you don't have to uh, to, to work at getting down, gravity will take care of that. You're on your way down. And there's no point thinking, oh, I wish I hadn't have jumped. It's too late. You have. And you're on your way down. And once you've made that initial physical action of shaking someone's hand, there's no point in thinking, oh, I'm not sure whether I want to make up with this person. It's too late. You've already started the process. So you may as well continue with it. And the same can be said of our peacemaking efforts away from the Sunday service, outside of the church. Reconciliation always begins with a physical action. Picking up the phone, getting in the car, moving close to someone to say, I'm sorry, or I forgive you, or please forgive me. Sharing the peace gets us into the habit of making that move, often the first move. And that practice should be extended to all our relationships, both inside and out of the church. And we remember that the peace comes not just by way of our forgiving others, but also by recognizing the part that we have played in broken relationships and seeking the forgiveness of others. But let us return for a moment to the virtues with which we are to clothe ourselves. Love and compassion. Love and compassion enable us to see the pain of the other person. Another reason that the peace follows the prayers is that by praying for other people, by praying for one another, by praying for the world, it heightens our sense of love and compassion. If you're struggling to love someone, can I recommend that you pray for them, earnestly pray for them and continue to pray for them and just see what effect that has to see how that begins to change your heart towards that person. Then we have kindness. Genuine kindness breaks down barriers. It tears down walls. It softens hearts. Humility. Without humility, we can never admit that we're wrong. A genuine apology can only come from a place of humility. Gentleness. We need to be careful with other people's feelings. That doesn't mean walking on eggshells. It just means we recognize that some people might be more sensitive than we are. Patience. How many times should we forgive someone? According to Jesus, 70 times 7. That's how many times. And Jesus isn't saying that we forgive someone 490 times and then we stop forgiving them. Jesus is saying we go on forgiving people indefinitely. But we have to be careful here because we need to recognize that forgiveness doesn't necessarily lead to restoration. Uh, An abusive husband and father uh, might be forgiven by his wife and children, but if he continues to be abusive, he can't be restored 
to his place in the family, that would put the whole family at risk. When it comes to our relationship with other human beings, forgiveness doesn't always lead to restoration and reconciliation. Very often it does, but it doesn't always. All we can do is extend the hand of peace and hope that the other person is willing to do the same. All we can do is uh, recognizing any part that we've played in a broken relationship. Repent of that and endeavor to change our ways and hope that the other person is willing to do the same. We can meet people halfway. So finally we come to verse 16 which says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now, there's a lot we could take away from this section. Uh, But one of the key things here is that we are to teach and admonish one another. And that gives depth to our action of peacemaking. Uh, the The dictionary definition of admonish is to caution, advise, or counsel against something, to reprove or scold, especially in a good-willed manner, to remind. Uh, The peace is not an attempt to plaster over the cracks, as if smiling and shaking hands somehow makes everything okay. As a church, we need to deal with our problems and our differences of opinion and the struggles that we have with one another. We need to get those things out into the open, into the light, and we need to deal with them. The peace should be an outward sign of something much deeper that's happening within the life of the church. A sign that we are continually working towards the health of the body. No wonder we're to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. We're really going to need these things. As a church, we're going to need these qualities if we're going to live... Genuinely at peace with one another, not a superficial peace, but a genuine, deep peace, friendship, unity. So why does the peace come immediately before the communion? Well, quite simply, because the peace is all about being one body, a healthy body that is ready to represent Christ in the world. Communion makes the church one body, but we cannot eat Christ's body at the communion table until we are united as Christ's body during the peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the miracle that is the church. We thank you that we can stand as forgiven sinners and that we can offer one another a sign of peace. And we pray, Father, that as individuals and as a church, We will be people that bring peace, forgiveness, reconciliation within our families, within our homes, our our schools, our places of work, within our world and our community. Father, we pray that your peace will reign in our hearts and you'll continue to transform us into the kind of people who can genuinely forgive and make peace with others. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.